Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Hey, it's great to see you. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church, whether you're streaming, whether you're with us today. It's great to have you here. Happy daylight saving time. I know it's rough when you lose an hour of sleep, but the good news is we get an extra hour of daylight. So looking forward to spring and summer, but thanks for being here. There's donuts out there. If you didn't get one, grab one on your way out. So we've been in this series for four weeks now called Signs. And what we've been looking at is the signs that John records for us in his gospel, the disciple John, that pointed him to Jesus and realizing that Jesus was the Messiah the Son of God. We looked at the wedding at Cana, Jesus' very first miracle the first week where he turned water into wine. And then the second week, we looked at the Roman official who heard the rumors about Jesus and he sought Jesus out to heal his son. And uh, the third week, we looked at the man who was lame and had been lame for 38 years, the man that the religious leaders had ignored for so long. And then Jesus crossed all of those religious boundaries, so to speak, and he showed compassion and love to the man. And all of these signs that we're looking at, these miracles that we're looking at, John said they're written so that we'll believe. That verse we've been looking at each week, it's not on your outline, but it says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, the story we're going to look at today, the the miracle, it's something you're probably familiar with. You've probably at least heard about it. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And what's interesting in this story that we're going to look at, the people were asking a question. This big crowd that's coming to Jesus, they were asking a question, and it's the same question a lot of us have been asking, or maybe we've asked in the past. Maybe it's a question that you used to ask, but you stopped asking because you didn't get the answer that you were looking for. But the question this crowd that we're going to see today was asking is, what do I get out of following Jesus? What's in it for me if I follow Jesus? And now the story that we're going to look at, the feeding of the 5,000, it's in the northern part of Israel. And Israel's kind of long and slender. It goes from north to south. And Jesus has been down near Jerusalem, and he's making his way up near the Sea of Galilee. And that's kind of where this, this miracle we're going to look at today takes place. And it's found in chapter 6 of John's gospel. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through a couple verses. We'll talk a little bit. We'll go through a few more verses as we go through this. But John tells us what happens next in the first two verses of John chapter 6. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. So you can imagine that a lot of these people have heard the rumors. They heard about the wedding at Cana. They heard about the man who was lame, or they had actually witnessed it. And so they're making their way out to be with Jesus, to see Jesus, because they're amazed at these miracles. 
And they're amazed at what Jesus is doing for them or what Jesus is doing for other people. And then in verse 3 and 4, it says, Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Now remember, John's recording this for us, and he provides these little details like it was nearly time for Passover because he wants us to know the time frame. He wants us to kind of know what their mindset was, what was going on at that time. But Passover was a Jewish celebration where they remembered and they celebrated God rescuing the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, right? You remember God sent Moses. Moses led the people through the Red Sea on dry ground into the wilderness and in front of the promised land, the land that God had promised them. And that's significant because later on in this story, uh, this crowd kind of references this point in the Israelites' life. But let's continue. John 6, 5a. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So he's sitting there with his disciples. This huge crowd is approaching, and Jesus knows exactly why they're coming. They're exactly like us. They want something. They needed something. Kind of like a kid at Christmas, right? They expect to get something, right? That they want something and they expect to get something and they're asking, leading up to that holiday, you know, what am I going to receive? What am I going to get? And so here's this crowd of people. And remember, they're asking this question, what do I get out of following Jesus? What's he going to do for us today? Or what's he going to show us today? And here's what we need to understand about those people. Learning number one, uh, people were more amazed at the signs Jesus was performing than the person performing the signs. They were much more enthralled with the miracles instead of the person who was performing the miracles. They just simply wanted another miracle. They wanted another sign. They wanted another trick. They wanted another event. Call it what you, were, what you will, but that's what they were after. And then in John 6, 5b, Jesus says this, turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, what we need to know is they weren't planning on feeding anybody. The, the disciples hadn't planned on feeding anybody. The disciples hadn't planned on this huge crowd of people following them. And, and Philip's probably thinking, you know, Jesus, why are you asking me? You know, we, we later find out that Philip's from this area. So that's why Jesus was kind of asking Philip. But, but Philip's probably like, Jesus, we don't, we don't feed people. Man, we heal people. Remember, you heal people. So why don't, you, why don't you heal somebody, give one of those nice little talks that you give to the people, maybe come down a little bit hard on the religious leaders. People love it when you do that, Jesus. But John is remembering this story, and he's including these little details so that we know what Jesus is up to in the world as well as what Jesus is up to in each of the disciples' lives. And and John 6, 6 kind of explains why he was asking Philip. He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. He was testing Philip. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust me? Do you know who I am? Or are you going to trust the situation that you see at hand and try to solve it that way? And then John 6, 7, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed him. In other words, 
this is a massive crowd, Jesus. What are you thinking? This is impossible. Even if there was a place in this remote area where we could go get bread, we wouldn't have enough money to pay for it. And then John chapter 6, verse 8, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Ah, you know, ye of little faith, right? So Andrew sees this, this boy who obviously is the only one prepared on that day who has his lunch with him. He's got five pieces of bread and two fish, probably salted fish. That's what, uh, you know, was kind of the meal of people then. You could carry it with you. But, but Andrew's essentially saying, you know, this is barely enough to feed this kid. It's not going to feed an adult, much less a crowd this size. And then Jesus shocks them all and says, tell them to sit down. John chapter 6, verse 10, tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. Then John provides us with another one of these details. The men alone numbered 5,000. Why does he give us this detail? Why is this important? Why doesn't he count the women and the children? And some scholars say it's because women had no standing in society at that time. But I think it's because he wants us to see how massive this crowd really is. 5,000 people to, to anybody there watching would have reminded them of a Roman legion of soldiers. A Roman legion of soldiers was 5,000 men. And anytime you saw a, a, a legion of Roman soldiers in a town, a community, a city, wherever you saw them, you'd be like, wow, look at the force and the power of Rome. And so now you've got these 5,000 people who are at least curious about Jesus. They're not all following Jesus and trusting Jesus. They're just curious. They want something. They want to see what's going to happen next. But it shows, hey, this, and especially showed the religious leaders, this guy, Jesus, is getting some traction, right? He's a force to be reckoned with. But it would have equated to the size of a Roman legion, which everybody in that society knew what a Roman legion was. And can you imagine these people sit down? And if you've ever been to an outdoor concert where you're sitting on the grass, you can't see a lot of what's going on in front of you, right? Because of all the people. They wouldn't have seen Jesus having this conversation with his disciples. They wouldn't have seen this little boy who, you know, had his lunch and, and they're having this discussion. They didn't see any, you know, large food trucks rolling in, bringing food or anything like that. And then in John 6, 11, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. Now, how long would it have take, taken to feed all those people? 5,000 men plus women and children. Estimates are there was fifteen to 20,000 people there that day. It would have taken hours, probably. Right? Think about how long it takes to get served at a restaurant. You know, whenever you go to a restaurant and it's your favorite restaurant and it's favorite of other people as well, and you know when they hand you that pager, they're lying when they give that thing to you. What do they tell you? Oh, it'll be 10 to 15 minutes. That's the standard answer, 10 to 15 minutes. You know it's going to be 40 to 45 minutes. You see 20 families ahead of you. So think about how long it takes to feed the people who are already taking those tables. And now the 20 families in front of you, it's going to be a while for you eat, before you eat. Can you imagine 
5,000 men plus women and children being fed. And then John says something that blows us away. John 6, 11b, and they all ate as much as they wanted. They ate as much as they wanted from five loaves and two fish. I mean, the miracles just keep getting bitter, uh, bigger and better. And you have to imagine that, that there were some rumblings in that crowd, right? They didn't see big trays or, or carts of food when, the, when they walked in. They didn't see this big storage of bread and fish that they were going to distribute. But they're all eating, and they're eating till they're filled. And, and they had to be asking that question. The same question you and I uh, need to wrestle with, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? And then in John 6, 12 through 13, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing's wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Jesus has created so much food, they're going to have extra for days or, or maybe even weeks. We don't know, but they're asking that question at this point. Who is this guy that keeps doing these miracles? John six fourteen through 15. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. When Jesus saw they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away in the hills by himself. In other words, they're thinking this is the guy that's going to deliver us from Roman oppression. See, that's what they were looking for. They were looking for another Moses to lead them out of the, you know, the Egyptian slavery into the promised land. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to be an earthly king that was going to overthrow the Roman government. They missed the spiritual Messiah altogether. And this is what they've been looking for for years and years. So they've got to be thinking, all right, there's 5,000 men here, plus women and children. I bet if we started marching to Jerusalem and started heading south again, we could overthrow the Roman government because more people are going to join us. And, and we might get, you know, five or ten more thousand men. And, and then all of a sudden we'll have three or four uh, legions equal to a Roman legion. But Jesus knew they were missing the point and they were looking for the wrong kind of king. So he slips away. And then he sends his disciples in the boat to go to the other side of the lake to get away from the crowd. Right? And this is where Jesus walks on water. Now, I'm going to throw you a monkey wrench, a curveball, if you will, and let's talk about this series of signs. We've, we've said we're going to have seven signs that pointed John to the Messiah. Now, some theologians take the walking on the water as a separate miracle or sign because it was a miracle. What we're going to do is we're combining it with this miracle because the walking on water happens in the middle of Jesus's teaching of the feeding of the 5,000. It's just semantics, okay? It was a miracle that only the disciples saw. It wasn't for the masses. So some people say, okay, the seven signs include, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 and then the walking on the water, and they don't include the resurrection as a sign. Okay, we're going to include the resurrection as a sign. That's going to be our seventh sign. And guess which day we're going to talk about the resurrection? 
Easter. Gosh, y'all are, y'all are on the ball. All right. So I don't want you to think, well, next week he didn't talk about walking on the water. I'm including it with this because it happens within this miracle. But Jesus joins them in the boat and immediately the boat's on the other side of the lake. And the point of, of all that is the crowd found Jesus. They wandered all the way around the lake to find him again. Why did they do that? They wanted something. They're, they're now hungry again, right? Jesus, what are you going to do for us now? They wanted another meal. And it's at this point in this miracle, Jesus gets ready uh, to call them out. And really, he's going to call me and you out as well. Because here's the truth, learning number two. Too often, we're only consumers of Jesus's goodness. This crowd in the story was consumers of Jesus's goodness. And there's a big difference in being a consumer of Jesus's goodness and being a follower of Jesus. Well, what do you mean by that, Scott? Th- think about this. Have you ever thought about this or maybe said this or you've heard somebody else say it? Well, I used to go to church but I wasn't getting anything out of it. That's a consumer. Well, I used to pray, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to be really involved in my faith, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to be really generous and give, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. I used to serve. I used to be involved in my group, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. That's a consumer. And as long as we're like this crowd and as long as we're consumers and as long as we're following Jesus, asking ourselves, what am I going to get out of this? We're never going to grow. We're never going to develop until we understand truly who Jesus is. We're, We're still like that kid that races to the Christmas tree and is like, what did I get? What did I get? What's am I going to get today? And then John 6, 25 says, they found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus knows exactly why they're searching for him. So in the next verse, he just kind of cuts straight to the issue at hand. And in 6, 26, he says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. In other words, You don't care how I got here. You don't even care when I got here. You're not interested in the miracles because you want to find out who it is that's performing the miracles. You don't want a relationship with me. You're just making small talk. You came because I fed you earlier. You had your fill and now you're hungry again. And then he cuts right to their short sightedness in John 6, 27. But don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Don't spend all your effort acquiring something like food that's going to fill you for today, but leave you empty for tomorrow. In other words, learning number three, we should focus our time, energy, and resources on things that last forever. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus said to them, and he says, says to us today as well, give your time and your energy and your effort, everything you can to food that doesn't spoil or go bad. Jesus is like, do, do you not see what I'm offering you? I've got God's seal of approval. It's as if he's telling them, look, this story is going to be told thousands of years from now, and you're part of that story. You're part of a revolution that's going to change the world. That's so much more important than worrying about if we're ever going to overthrow the Roman government. In other words, don't just think about today. Don't just think about food. And then John 6, 28 through 30, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told him, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. <laughs> and their answer just blows me away. Uh, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus got to be thinking, really? Is that all y'all think about is food? And this was significant to the Jewish people because, you know, when they wandered in the wilderness, God provided manna for them to eat every single day. And he only provided them enough manna for that day, unless it was the Sabbath. And then he gave them enough for two days so they didn't have to work and collect food on the Sabbath. But he provided food for them every single day for 40 years. And so these people are like, well, you know, Jesus, that, that was a pretty cool trick with the fish and with the loaves, but that was one time. Moses fed us for 40 years. If you want us to believe you are from God, you're going to have to do something a little better than just a, a, you know, a one-day miracle like that. Can you believe their short-sightedness? But that's exactly the way we are sometimes. And then in John 6, 32 through 35, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. And then Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, if you take that term out of context without knowing this story, I am the bread of life, people may scratch their heads like, what does that mean? And Jesus essentially tells them here, Moses didn't feed you. My heavenly father did. He just happened to be the delivery mechanism. The real bread of heaven, me, is standing right in front of you. And I will satisfy the appetite of your soul. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. The bread of life will satisfy the appetite of your soul. You know how it feels to, to be satisfied once you've had an appetite, right? Let's say uh, you've been working hard all day, and I, sometimes I'll get caught up in a project, and I won't stop to eat, or I don't drink enough water, and then and when I'm done, I'm just tired, I got a headache, and it's amazing how good I feel after I eat and drink something, right? So you know that feeling of being satisfied. Jesus is saying that emptiness in our soul can be filled and satisfied with the bread of life. 
That is the food for the emptiness of our soul is the bread of life, a relationship with Jesus. And the truth is we are all born with a hole in our heart, a missing piece, right? And the only thing that fits in that missing piece is Jesus. It's the only thing that will satisfy that craving or that appetite. Now, we'll try to fill it with anything and everything, maybe drugs or alcohol or sex or relationships or money or possessions or our career or whatever, and nothing satisfies the appetite of our soul until we have a relationship with Christ, the bread of life. Now, what's amazing is that it's at this point in this miracle, a lot of that crowd starts to disperse. A lot of his followers turn away. Why? Learning number four. If we're only following Jesus for what we can get, we will always be disappointed. That's the question they asked from the very beginning. What am I going to get out of this? And they started to turn away. It's only a matter of time before we'll stop following Jesus if we're only in it for what we can get. Because something's not going to go our way. We're not going to be healed. We're not going to have a prayer answered. Something's not going to happen on our timetable. But if we believe that God has given us everything we need in Jesus, then that changes everything. So I think we got to do a quick evaluation. And we just got to ask ourselves, where am I today with my relationship with Christ? Am I just in it for the food for today? Am I just in it for what I'm going to get out of it? And if so, we haven't yet figured out who this Jesus is that we're dealing with. And Jesus is saying, don't spend your life trying to figure out what you can get out of it. Spend your life giving out. That's the example he set, and that's what he's trying to teach them in this miracle. Spend your life giving your life away, giving out. Because think about it. The takers haven't changed this world for good, have they? It's the givers that have changed this world for good. So what if every Christ follower, just just in our community, what if every Christ follower in our community started giving out instead of taking in? What if every Christ follower started loving people the way Jesus said to love? It changed our community, wouldn't it? What if, what if, you know, we were to forgive the way that Christ says to forgive? What if we were to serve others the way Christ says serve others? What if we were generous with what God's given us to further his kingdom? What if every father and mother was the father and mother that Christ called them to be? And what if every kid submitted to their parents' authority? What if we truly modeled servanthood the way that Jesus modeled servanthood? It would change everything. The truth is we really do already have everything that we need in Jesus. And so the question should never be, that question those people were asking, what can I get out of this? What's Jesus going to do for me? The question should be, what do I believe about Jesus? Who do I believe Jesus is? And what can I do to further his kingdom? See, a lot of those people that day just saw Jesus as a, as a magician. And when the show was over, guess what? 
they went home. They left. But a few of them recognized who Jesus was, that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Savior of the world. And you know what they did? They changed the entire world. And in the end, he gave them, the ones that realized who he was, much more than they could have ever imagined. Now, I've got a a video I want to show you. This church has always been about giving and not taking. And I want you to watch this video from our community. Good morning, Blue Ridge Church. Uh, First and foremost, uh, I have to apologize. Uh, I've known Scott Obenchain since I was about 12 years old, and we tried to raise him right, but uh, you see what we ended up with, so bless your heart. Uh, I'm here today to tell you thank you. Uh, I'm Anthony Wilson. I'm one of the leaders of the New River Public Health Task Force, and I can't thank you enough for lending us your house uh, for these last two months. And I just wanted to tell you some of the magic that occurred in these hallways and in your rooms throughout these last two months. Uh, Every day we were met with folks who who had never been out of the house throughout this entire pandemic. Every day we had tears of joy flowing down people's faces uh, as they were coming through your doors, coming into your house and finding this vaccine that was going to give them the freedom that they had not had. Um, Community is defined by actions like this and you should be proud of yourselves as community members and of this church for offering this amazing service. Thank you so much for offering this beautiful house for this huge endeavor and perfect community service. Thank you. Thank you, Blue Ridge Church. Thank you, Blue Ridge Church. You've been a great host. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Noelle Bissell, director of the New River Health District, and I wanted to express our deepest appreciation to Pastor Scott, Mark, and the entire Blue Ridge congregation for your support during our vaccination efforts. You donated your facilities for us to be able to host indoor vaccination sites during the peak of winter. And thus far, we have vaccinated almost 35,000 people in this facility. My staff and I can't thank you enough for providing us this opportunity to serve our community and for the tremendous community service you have provided. We know it wasn't without hassles and it wasn't without a lot of dedication. The fact that we would come in on Monday mornings and your congregation had set our site back up for us was just such a welcome help. My staff has been doing this for over a year and it was just such a blessing to have such a spirit of cooperation and collaboration. Once again, I can't tell you enough how much gratitude and appreciation we have for what you've done for our community. Thank you, Blue Ridge Church. Thank you, Blue Ridge Ridge Church. Church. Thank Thank you, Blue Ridge Church. Thank you, Blue Ridge Church. We love you. Yeah. That's what it looks like when we give out and we don't take in. And the truth is, when we give out, we get much more from Jesus than we ever imagined. Uh, Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for uh, just the the lesson today on the feeding of the 5,000. And Lord, just how sometimes we do get the attitude, what am I going to get out out of it? How's this going to benefit me? 
Lord, help us to continue as a church to, to reach out and as individuals to reach out and be the people that you've called us to be. God, I thank you for this congregation. Just how selfless they truly are. Lord, you've used this church to give out for 11 years and we want you to continue to use us, to show us whether it's in our neighborhoods or in our own homes or our community, our workplace, where we can give out so that people will know who you are. Or the testimony of John that we're studying in this series is, is to point us to you and to point people to you. We want to do the same. We want to show people that the bread of life satisfies the emptiness in our soul. Lord, thank you what you do for us each and every day. In Christ's name, amen. Again, I, I can't thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for, for opening this place up to help the community. We've always said we're for our community. We did a series a couple years ago for the NRV, and that's what it looks like. Uh, just want to kind of fast forward to Easter Sunday, which is coming up right around the corner on April the 4th. Just Easter Sunday, we're going to add a service time. All right, so our service times are going to be our old service times for Easter Sunday, 9 a.m., 10.15 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. That way we'll be able to still follow the guidelines of, of the um, state of Virginia. We'll still be able to social distance. So you can go ahead and start inviting your friends, but Easter Sunday, 9, 10.15, and 11.30. And if you forget, you're just going to miss the music. And I tell Justin the music's not as important as the message. Justin will be like, no, a lot of people leave after the music. So anyway, just make sure you make those notes. And, and listen, I'm proud of you guys. I really am. I love you. Thanks for what you do. And we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you guys. <laughs>